0: Welcome, everybody, to NWCZradio.com, Channel 1's Down the Rabbit Hole. My name is Big D. And I'm Brandon. And it is fantastic to have everybody along. Thanks for tuning in for the brand new episode. I don't yeah. even, Do you know what episode number this is? I have no idea. No idea. The only reason I say that is because I listen to several podcasts, and they always come in with whatever episode number it
1: is. I don't even think we know. I don't think so. I mean, in all reality, and I think, you know, with Anchor, I don't think... We would have to do work. We would have had to have been numbering them all along.
0: Yeah. And yeah. we're too lazy for that. Definitely. <laughs> anyway, it is good to have everybody with us today. We, I think we have a very interesting topic. This topic that we're going to talk about today, the Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, is right in my wheelhouse. I was living in the Northwest during the times and I was in high school when all of this was going on. And then when I went to college, I went to college uh, in Oregon for, and then lived there for about four years and met several of, and I'm going to use their words, survivors of it because there are two sides of people who endured what went on at the Rajneesh Purim. Some people still dig it. Some people still think it was great And they wish they could go back to it but the majority of them saw it for what it was and they call themselves survivors
1: and i've seen a few when i was going through and looking for stuff Where there was a few people that talked about it very i don't know if i want to say lovingly but very like they they it wasn't a bad thing in their mind they still talked about it like it was this great amazing thing that they went through yeah
0: and there is a fantastic documentary on netflix called the wild wild west is that what it's called wild wild west yes i think it's it's the wild west um, or wild wild west i can't yeah, remember. Some, uh, something like that wild wild country oh wild wild country there you go wild wild west was an old tv show wild wild country it's a i believe it's four parts it's probably one of the best documentaries i've seen about a cult in a long time yeah very well done it's just the facts, ma'am, and the timeline and the footage. I don't know where they got the footage from, but it, it's fantastic. It's really well done.
1: Well, some of it was from there was a documentary that was filmed there, um, and, and I found it. But it's oh, I think it's I can't remember. It's in a different language. I think it's in German or something. But there's a documentary that was filmed, and that's what a lot of that that film was from. And then I think they did do some of their own recording and use their own cameras and stuff for like marketing purposes. And I think it was taken from that.
0: Well, and there's a lot of interviews of people who were living in the town who were on the city council in Antelope when they tried to take over it. Mm -hmm. And it
1: was very well done, I'll say.
0: And I, I I highly recommend it to anybody who has not seen it.
1: Yeah, it was very good. I loved it. I, I did a lot of other research besides just that, but I mean, it was it was well done.
0: Oh yes, me too. I there's a lot. We were talking about this earlier. There's so many directions you can go with this thing, because just the Bhagwan himself is a story. Yes, his secretary and what a lot of people called his military leader, Sheila, that's a whole other story. Yep. The the entire. Rajneesh Purim's story when they got to Oregon is multiple stories on many many levels
1: and, and there is it depends on which ones you're you know whose story you're following I mean there's Sheila's there's KD's there's the, the Bogwans I mean there, there's probably four or five different stories that you can follow through I think one of the, one of them's name was Jane I can't remember what her her cult name was but um, she's the one that you know was going to pull the trigger. There's the doctor. I mean, there's so many different storylines you can go through in Oregon.
0: And all the people that showed up and joined. Yes. And then all the homeless people that they brought in from all over the United States to try to take over Wasco County. Yep. So if you don't know what we're talking about, there's no way that we can cover it all in this episode. This is a huge monumental event that happened in the United States and it was in the 80s like the early 80s is when this really was going on. Now the Bhagwan himself we're going to go into a little bit of him and then we'll kind of try to encapsulate or time capsule what happened at the Rajneesh Purim and then give a little bit of what's happening today because Hey, I found articles you know, Will Smith's kids are big into Osho and his that teachings That me. Yeah, and there were several celebrities that I ran into who were who still read his books and think a lot of what he talked about was amazing.
1: I mean, I could see Will Smith's kids. I mean, it was all about, you know, Sheila and being a strong woman. So, they would definitely be in for
0: it was about a lot more than that.
1: <laughs> it was, but I mean, it just seems like in their life, that's what they're used to is strong women.
0: There's, there is that. There is that. Let's uh, start with the Bhagwan himself. And his, his real name was Sh- uh, Chandra Jain, J-A-I-N. And he was born in 1931 And he's been known by several names. There was that was the other
1: weird part. He had multiple. I mean, it wasn't just one. There was several different names that he went by.
0: Yeah, Acharya Rajneesh, Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, Osho, and there were several others. Those are the most famous ones. Yeah. So he had a bit of an identity crisis going on, I think, in his life. But he was born in India and he was uh apparently he was very smart but he hated school and he ha- he basically he rejected institutional learning and he hated religion he so he rejected that and he supposedly had this spiritual awakening in 1953 when he was 21 and he resigned he had some post in academia and he resigned, and then he, then he did his walkabout. He just started traveling
1: around. Yep, as and, a guru. Yeah, he was trying to... Well, and there was a bunch of things that I found too with him that it was seven-year cycles, that yes. he was told as a child that he wouldn't live past the age of 21, I think it was, and that he would have, you know, every seven years, death would come come for him. You know and it almost seemed like uh, every seven years i think at the age of seven his grandfather died at the age of 14 somebody else close to him died and Uh, then at 21
0: uh, yeah his his childhood girlfriend she yeah he, he was 15 but that was yeah it was it was seven years after
1: yeah and then at the age of 21 he figured death was coming for him and supposedly when he had that spiritual awakening he went out into the the wilderness by himself into like an abandoned building with no food, no water, no nothing except for what he took with him for seven days and waited for death to come for him. And that's when the spiritual awakening came.
0: Didn't Aaron Rodgers just do something similar to
1: that? I think so. But this darkness retreat or whatever? <laughs> I mean, and honestly, in a lot of stuff I see with Aaron Rogers, I'm sure he probably follows the Bogwan. He's, he's special.
0: <laughs> well, one of the things I found very interesting Besides the fact that he hated everything. Everything. Except he hated, for himself and money. Yeah, he hated government. He hated religion. He Well, he didn't hate it. He loved sex. He went through these phases where he loved communism, he loved socialism, and he loved anarchy. Those were the big loves of his life. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I found interesting is that he was a, a, apparently a very good debater. So he, he was c- quick-witted and he had a quick mind. And he mm-hmm. read a lot.
1: Well, yeah, and he had a degree in philosophy. He was supposedly very smart. Um, but because of the reason he, he loved to argue so much, they even basically at one of his colleges, they said, okay, cool, you just have to show up for the tests. Right. We don't want you in class because you're too disruptive and nobody else can learn. So they told him he was pretty much banned from class except for doing tests. Well, he was, he was a dick. Oh, uh, yeah. He just wanted to argue with everybody. Yeah. But he I mean, had. But someone it, could say that about us. I mean, we like to argue, but not to the point that he does.
0: Well, no, because I respect a, other person's point of view. I'm not. I'm yes. not trying to outshout or to destroy somebody. That that was his goal. He just wanted to. Yes. He just wanted to destroy and dismantle everything.
1: We like to debate. He liked to argue.
0: That there you go. Very good. But he was very very interested early on in the writings of Marx and Engels so much so that a lot of his compadres people around him they branded him as a communist and even at his school they they basically threatened to kick him out because he was showing too much interest in this and he had a huge library and according to him he said i've been interested in communism from my very childhood communist literature perhaps there is no book that is missing from my library i have signed and dated each book before 1950 he says that, that that was his entry into the intellectual world. Then he said this. First, I was deeply interested in communism, but finding that it is a corpse, I became interested in anarchism. And so he basically said the, his three interests were anarchism, no state, and no government in the world. But what we find out is that's not true. He wanted to be all of those things.
1: Yeah, because he didn't want a government. He wanted a monarchy, and he wanted to be the king on top of it all.
0: Yeah, so he he's an interesting guy. I even read something somewhere where he claimed to have re- read some astronomical amounts of books in his life, and somebody calculated it, and he would have had to read six books a day for his entire life for that to be true.
1: I mean, who knows? Maybe it, they're small books.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe they were booklets i'm not ins- I'm not sure
1: c dick run See Jane. oh yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah he didn't
0: he didn't say which books they were, but no. you know apparently that was why he was so elevated because this guy, one of the things this guy had more than a lot of cult leaders that you run into where cult leaders are usually manipulative and they have some sort of secret and they yeah, you know, they want to share it with everybody. He had a bit mm-hmm. of that. But what he really had was he appealed to... Even though he loved Marxism and he loved communism and all of this stuff, he figured out that rich people were unsatisfied. And so yeah. he wanted to offer rich people in life this some satisfaction. And so he developed this philosophy That was very attractive to wealthy people. And it worked for him. Here's the weird thing with this guy, from what I saw. He did live in the commune with him. So, like, we could go into, you know, like Jim Jones, we could go into Charles Manson and all these cult leaders, famous cult leaders, Koresh, who actually lived the lifestyle of the group that they were leading. Yes. Manson was a hippie who lived out in the desert with his followers. Jim Jones lived. He, he wasn't an extravagant. And we see that with a lot of the sort of the cults, even that Heaven's Gate cult. You know, the crazy guy, the bald guy yeah. lived with him in the little apartment. And I want to say led by example because he did what he was telling them to do. Now, they were all crazy and wrong.
1: Yes, very but, much so.
0: But you can look at it and go, Well, at least he was practicing what he preached. The Bhagwan was the complete opposite.
1: Oh, he was. I mean, what he what he preached, what he told people to do was the complete opposite of what he did. He had, especially when they came to Oregon, not so much when they were in um India. No, in, uh, in, in India, where India was just like it seemed like it was it was a utopia there. Yes. Where you just pretty much you showed up, you went to classes, you paid a buttload of money or you worked there and you had a lot of sex. And then suddenly when you came to America, because they had to build it all, it was manual full on labor. And he sat in his room all day with his asthma and his back spasms and everything else and came out and and blessed you while you worked.
0: So, well, let's go into some of the timeline of the whole Oregon thing because what he did before he got to Oregon was basically just kept getting kicked out of places. I mean, that that's really what happened. He got kicked out of this yeah. place, he got he then he moved to that place. Then he got kicked out of that place because the locals saw him as a threat and he was anti-government, anti-religion, anti-everything. And then he was ba- he basically became known as the sex cult because anybody who came and joined his whatever group All the women basically had to have sex with him and they had to have these huge drug induced meditation orgies constantly because he believed that the climax of sex, it emptied your mind. And that was that was part of being whole and empty and in tune with God who and God him god there is no god god was everyone and everything and it was just it was sort of this energy force yes. and that the climax of sex was the ultimate connection with that and that's where we wanted to be at all times
1: yes and part of it too is if you really look into a lot of the research on what he believed what the group believed everything else it was all about surrendering surrendering to something and that was kind of one of the things with the whole sex. It was surrendering your will, surrendering your body to somebody else. And everything, he, he you hear this word when you listen to him talk in almost every one of his speeches. Sheila uses the same word repeatedly, and it's surrender.
0: But they didn't have
1: to surrender to anything. No, no.
0: In fact, if you in the documentary that we referred to earlier, <laughs> there's a scene in there where he's... He would give these long 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 dissertations and just ramble on and on and on. People would fall asleep. Then he would get all pissed off and it was mind control. They practice a lot of mind control. So, but he would pick certain women out of the audience to come sit at his feet while he was giving these talks. And with his feet he would and if this offends you, I'm sorry, but he would rub their nipples or massage their breasts with his feet, and these women would just get ecstatic about it because he was paying attention to them, and yes. he, you know, he was the father, or, the, or he was the, he was a God, or whatever, and he would just do this willy-nilly, and Sheila apparently was uh, was just as bad. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh yeah, they 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 both were. I mean, it, there's stories that I read of like from the, the people who were, you know, survivors and stuff that would talk about how, you know, while he was doing some of these speeches while they were down at his feet, or if they were doing things, because before he, you know, he would have them come to his bedroom a lot of times um, and maybe wouldn't, you know, have sex with them, but would, you know, pleasure them.
0: Or fond, say, you know,
1: fondle them. Fondle them, watch or whatever them. The, but that was part of the process and they had to surrender. I'm like, "Mm, okay.
0: Yeah. Now, that was one of the... And on a sad note, there's a great article about... It's by this kid. Well, he's an adult now, but it's from The Guardian, and it's titled Growing Up in the Wild Wild Country Cult. In 1976, this guy named Noah Maxwell, his mom and dad, they were living in England, and they just up and moved... To the United States and joined. Well, at first they went over to uh, India and joined the Bhagwan there, and then they ended up in Oregon. He talks about as a kid, because I think he was, doesn't really say, but I think he was like, he was young. I'm going to say he was like 10, 11, or, and then he had a brother. And his perspective on this, and it was really sad because his mom and dad show up, and the dad had to live on the other side of the farm. His mom lived on you know, one side and they were just having sex with everybody. People came and coming and going. And then there was even pressure on the kids to do this. Now he said that there was never any adults involved with the kids. And so I don't, that was his experience. I've never heard that accusation come out of the, any of the documents or anything.
1: Yeah, I've never seen any. What I've seen a lot of was there's accusations that he did not want kids there.
0: Oh, yeah. No, he hated kids. He hated families.
1: Yes, because he thought marriage was a complete farce and should never happen. Like, marriage was the worst thing. I mean, why would you even do it? Which is interesting because, I mean, if you go down like Sheila, who was a huge part of this, she was married twice. Right.
0: So this guy, Noah, he did say this. It's a great article. If you'd like it, I'll be glad to send it to you. It's from The Guardian. And he said this, because they, they were asking him about these violent orgies inside this padded room. That, and there are videos of that, That from that German film that you're talking about. Yeah. He said he he didn't see any of that. He heard about it, but he did say there was some freaky behavior and emotion, laughter was a way of saying, quote, I'm okay with my feelings. And one night, thousands of people suddenly started laughing hysterically, crying with laughter. And then he goes on to say that he was aware of the sex, and he said you could hear people having orgasmic sex all the time, all night, like mating baboons. Huh. And he That's talked about so how weird. they had no boundaries. They would, they would, all these kids would run around, and the, <laughs> they would go to, quote, school during the day. And according to him, all it was was this hippie guy with a guitar, some British hippie guy, and they would sing Beatles songs. That was going to school. And when he, when they finally left the uh, Rajneesh Purim and he had to actually go to school,
1: he didn't even know how to do simple math like two plus two. Oh yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, it was all about, it was all about money for, you know, Sheila and Bhagwan. And, well, money for Bhagwan and control and power for Sheila. And then sex for everybody else. I mean, they even said, like, when the FBI came to finally, when they finally did the raid, when they showed up, there was just two people on, like, the side of the road going at it. So this article,
0: this kid, when he, at the time he's writing this, or what he's writing about, he was six at the time. He was ten when he got back into, into school system. And here's what he said. He said, there was a school and it was, quote, run by this crazy English hippie called Sharma with long blonde hair and a guitar, and we would sing We All Live in an Orange Submarine because they all wore orange. Yeah. He says, I don't know how much it mattered if we were in school or not. When I eventually did get back to the U.K. when I was 10, I couldn't read anything or write anything or do 2 plus 2.
1: But he knew how to sing that song.
0: <laughs> and he didn't even know the right lyrics.
1: No. That sounds horrible anyway.
0: So what's the deal with the whole orange submarine? Well, when you joined up with the Bog One, A, you had to sign over all your worldly, earthly goods, uh, your bank account, all of your possessions, everything. It was empty. You had to empty yourself out.
1: And that from a lot of what i read that started more once they got into the us when they were still in india it was more of you just had to pay for everything right and he even mentions like in one of his speeches where he was his being a, a sannyasin was not a cheat was not for the poor oh yeah like, no you had was, to
0: you had to pay for his knowledge
1: yeah and there was many stories of people having to like you know go out and sell themselves take loans. so they could afford take loans, get money from their families, um, all sorts of stuff, so they can continue to go to classes or they would just start working for them.
0: Yeah, it's reminiscent of Scientology in that aspect.
1: Very much. So, Where, yeah, that- you had to pay so much, and if you couldn't afford it, they would send you home, and then there's a huge thing. Um, that's never been completely proven, but a lot of people believe that um, they would basically make deals with the drug lords to get these people who couldn't afford to stay there to run drugs. They would sit there and basically tell these people, Hey, you can't, you need to go home and come back when you have money. And then somehow they would, you know, uh, one of the drug Lords would suddenly find them and say, Hey, by the way, I hear you need some money. If you take these drugs back to your, you know, the, this, you know, suitcase of drugs back to your hometown, I'll give you enough money that you can get on a plane and come right back.
0: Well, and the crazy thing is that when a lot of people started this, like we said earlier, he targeted the rich. So they came in with tons of cash and they would just bleed them. Yes. Bleed them dry. And I do believe from what I've read is that Sheila is the one who came up with this idea of let's just have them give everything to us and then we can sell it and we can amass this fortune and then we don't have to go through all of this nonsense about getting them jobs or wondering if they're going to pay. It's just all paid up front, and then we'll provide everything.
1: Yes. Well, a lot of people don't realize too is, I mean, Sheila wasn't his first secretary. Mm -mm. He had a a secretary in India that was his first secretary, but when he started losing favor in India and they thought he was going to have to leave, Sheila put herself into the position to help him. Because she was Indian, but she her first husband was American, right. and she'd lived here for a while, so she had connections, and she worked, wormed her way in, and pushed the other, his uh, original secretary out, and that's when things started getting like where they just started taking everything, um, and becoming more milit- militant. Was when Sheila took over.
0: Yeah, and when we talk about people at the height of the especially in Oregon, they had around two thousand people at their what was it fifty something acre.
1: Ranch. Oh, it was big. it was sixteen hundred acres.
0: No, actually uh sixty four thousand acres.
1: Okay. Sixty four thousand. So which was we were both way off.
0: Yeah, we were which was formerly called the Big Muddy Ranch.
1: Yes. They, they, they lied when they got there. They said it was going to be an agricultural, you know, uh, test or whatever. You know, this agricultural lab to try and, you know, turn the desert green again. And they actually did okay at that. But still, it was, you know, and then they started lying saying, oh, we need all these people to run this farm. And that's when it all started going wacko. Well, on this huge
0: ranch that they bought, they had their devotees their followers who came in and gave up everything to them they had them working around the clock for the first bit of time that they were there and this is what they they made they made a huge meditation hall an open-air mall with restaurants clothing boutiques and a shop that sold hundreds of books and videotapes by and about rajneesh they also created a private airport a hotel living quarters, and a sparkling artificial lake.
1: Yes. One of the things for like the money, and I mean, having the books and the recordings, I think was another Sheila thing, where she started having him, everything he did was recorded and written down so they could sell it and make money.
0: And I did read that 10%, I think it was 10% of all the people that were there held master's degrees. Most of them had college degrees. Mm Mm-hmm. And there were several that had doctorates. Yeah. So again, these are not your average street people who, or you know, people who are outcasts of society who get scooped up by some wacky cult. These were very smart later. people. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, that does come
1: later. But, but it's one of those things too, as they talk about it too. Like when they left, where a lot of people are like, oh, it wasn't about money. It wasn't about money. One of the main reasons they left India, and a lot of people don't think about this, they lost. Their status as a uh, nonprofit. And suddenly India is like, you need to pay taxes. And they own millions in taxes. And so they left. Another thing that, besides the sex
0: and the f- fulfillment of your personal well being or whatever it was that he was selling, and he, he was trying to sell lots of things about, yeah. like you said, submission, emptying yourself, being in tune with the God or whatever his notion of God was, because he didn't believe in God. In fact, he believed he was a God and that we were all gods and we had to attain the level he was at. He was actually part of the God energy. Yeah, because he was enlightened. But he was big on, and and this is a ruse all the way through, but he was very big on women having positions of power within the the commune yes so he appealed to this certain aspect of women and a lot of women joined
1: yeah there it seems like i never found the exact figures but it seemed like there was a lot more women than men and a lot of the power structure was women
0: well that's because he was uh he was a horn dog and he figured out (laughs) he figured out how to get them there yeah so every woman and man, once they got there and gave all their stuff, they were assigned a a new name, and
1: mm-hmm. it was
0: always some weird name that I can never pronounce.
1: No, and almost all, all the women, it starts with "ma," because it was the Mas and Mom, right because they were women and they were childbearing. Um, I didn't see one for the men. The men seemed just kind of be whatever he chose.
0: <laughs> it was they were just throwaway names. Your name is Shwarma. Okay. Yeah. Almost every one of the women, it's Ma Anand something. So they all got new names and they were assigned basically a set of clothes. Mm -hmm. And as we talked about earlier, they were the color of the sun or the sunset. So it was like orange, kind of sunrise,
1: I think. Oh, it was a sunrise. Sunrise colors.
0: Right. Sunrise colors. So red, orange. However, The color was significant. So everybody who came in got the orange kind of jumpsuit. And then as you progressed up the chain, you were given slightly different colors and they all represented different things. So it was a hierarchy. And then at the top was him. And he always wore white. Yes. And then also they were given a locket that they had to wear. And inside the locket was a picture of the Rajneesh.
1: But if you asked him, it wasn't a picture of him. It was because he was... Oh, God. I I heard one of the audios of it, of him talking about it, how he's transcendental or something, and he's you only see him because you want to see him, and it's really not... And it went on some trippy-dippy thing that I'm like, what? I'm not high enough to understand this.
0: Well, here's how he tried to explain it, is that he, as a human had transcended his humanness so what you when you look at him what you're seeing is what you perceive at your human level so not everybody was seeing him the same way because he didn't really have a likeness because he had transcended human form and likeness yes but oddly enough all of his pictures look the same Like, he doesn't change.
1: Well, that's because that's how you perceive him to look. (laughs) Which is why he could drive around. He had almost 100 Rolls Royce. Oh, yeah. Like you said, everyone else had to give up everything, but he had multiple Rolls Royces. Um, He would ride around and, um, you know, drive them occasionally. But apparently, from everything I read, you didn't want to be in the car with him when he drove because he was a complete lunatic.
0: No, but they would line the roads and throw roses. Everybody was supposed to throw a rose on the hood of this Rolls Royce as he drove up. Mm-hmm. And, and people would cry and they would shake and they would freak out. But the reason is is because they were all lacking in your basic needs of life. They were lacking sleep. They were all worn out from working. They were, they were barely being fed. They were having sex constantly, so they're drained. And they kept them, they would do these long, hours-long meditations. Mm-hmm. They would. There was one exercise I read where they would put all the people in whatever, the meditation center. And you were supposed to take, I don't know, a couple of minutes. And I would say to you, I am. And then I would say something and you would say, I am. And then you had to move on to the next person and you could not repeat it. And you couldn't repeat people. So imagine how long that would take. Forever. Yeah, (laughs) and so they would just they would do these weird things, and they would put them in sweat boxes, and they would they would go into these rooms, almost like these padded rooms, and have scream fest, and they would give them pillows, and and they would fight, and and completely naked, and just to exhaustion. And that's what they did with these people. And these people did it because they were trying to empty themselves.
1: I think the guys are trying to empty something, but (laughs) I mean, there was a lot of weird, I mean, I saw some of the videos on them and I'm like, it's just odd, but I mean, people believed it. So in 1981,
0: July 10th is when they bought this ranch for 5.75 million dollars. And he wasn't there. He was in New Jersey because when he yeah. got kicked out of India, he came over to the States and he was hanging out on the East coast, kind of bouncing around, trying to keep a, a lower profile because th- he was a wanted man, basically.
1: Well, and it's one of those things that's interesting. Actually, there was two, I, I read multiple things and I heard two different things, either that he was bouncing around or that he went straight to the Kip Castle in New Jersey. And that's where he stayed. Right. Because- Cause I
0: read that he went to North Carolina first And then he got out of there and went to like upper state New York. And then he went, he was just bouncing around the East coast and nobody knew why and where he was staying and what the point
1: was. Yeah. And a lot of things that I read, I think it sounded like that that's what they told you he was doing. But then what most people say is what he actually did. He just went to New Jersey and stayed in the Kip Castle. Because from what most people like when they've talked to people from the the group when they've left that were there said he just went to the Kip Castle, stayed there. And it was like what they did to the castle when he was there was just freaking atrocious. They like gutted it. Yeah. It's now it's now part of the New Jersey Parks Department. But they don't tell you that he stayed there and gutted the damn place. But yeah.
0: So in August 29th and the Bogwan is now 49 years old. He arrives at the ranch in Oregon. At first, from all accounts, things were kind of going smoothly. They had everything built, or they were building everything. They had a crew that was doing all of the gardening, and everything seemed to be going as well as it could be. And there was nothing, true, nothing amiss at this point. There was no alarm Bells going off. Nobody was wondering what they were doing out there. Although the city of Antelope was wary when they first bought the place and they knew who because they knew who bought it. So well, they were I, like, we're they, gonna keep an eye on these guys.
1: I've heard kind of what it was was like when they first bought it, Sheila portrayed herself as a widow who was making a like an agricultural experiment. And it wasn't until he showed up. Well, and and a bunch a and sudden, a bunch
0: of people showed up,
1: and a bunch of people in orange showed up, and then all of a sudden they're like, "Oh, wait a minute! You know, this isn't just some widow. This is a you know, this is something else."
0: Well, this is where one of my experiences comes in because mm-hmm. the, it's right about this time, and I'm living in Tacoma, Washington, and my dad had a side what they call a side hustle now, but it was just a little side gig, and. He had a huge trailer, and we would haul stuff or move people. And a lady called one time and asked if we would move her down into this area. So we went over and checked it out, said, yep, we can move all this down, and it's going to cost this much. So she gave us half. We loaded it up. We drove all the way down, and when we got there, the address turned out to be a storage unit, and we were met at the gate. By three guys wearing these, these orange jumpsuits and there were a whole bunch of them running around the property and my dad was like this is doesn't look like a house and, and the lady's name i'm just gonna say her name was mary i'll say like mary jones and he said is this the address of mary jones and the guy looks at his clipboard and he's like uh well yes but her name is something something now and that's our property and my, my dad said well I'm expecting second half of the payment before I drop this off. Now, in the meantime, because we'd already pulled up to the unit, we're being swarmed by all these guys in orange jumpsuits, and they're emptying the trailer. And they're telling my dad, no, this is our property now. We didn't make that deal, and so we don't owe you anything. So my dad had me and my brother keep aside a TV, a stereo, like some electronics, I think a microwave and stuff. And we threw it in the van and they, they chased us. They, they were going to sue us and they got their lawyer on the phone. And my dad said, come after me. And once you pay it, I'll ship this stuff back down. And if you watch the documentary, one of the featured characters is this lawyer guy. Mm -hmm. And that's the guy who called my dad. They did eventually pay, and we boxed it up and and mailed it down at their expense. But that was my first introduction to—I didn't even really know who they were or what they were. They kind of explained it to us, but it was so new, no, we didn't know.
1: And it's weird too to think about. And I mean, it's hard to think about now. Is there? There wasn't internet back then. You couldn't just like search on the internet and like who's these weird guys in orange? No, and it wasn't
0: until it all started breaking in the news about them trying to poison people and you know, two and two get put together and you start making these, I started making these connections and I was like, dad, that's that group. That's that group that we moved that lady stuff down to. And he was like, oh yeah, you're right. Cause you know, when they started busting the compound and they were taking news crews out there and they're showing all these people, I'm like, yep, that's them. It was the same area. Yeah. And if you don't know where Antelope, Oregon is, it's basically east of Portland, sort of in the, I'll just say the western part of eastern Oregon, if that makes any sense.
1: It's one of those things where a lot of people who've never been to like Oregon or Washington, you get stuck on this whole idea that everyone sees Oregon and Washington they see this beautiful, green, lush, gorgeous area. Yes, on the west side. Yeah. But both of them, when you hit the east side... It's a desert, and that's where Antelope is. It's just east enough that it's in the desert,
0: right? Yeah, and it's in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing yeah. there. In fact, if you look up Antelope, Oregon, right now, the the last census that they took, or at least the numbers that I could find, was from 2012, and there were 47 people living there.
1: Yeah, I mean it's out there. In fact, they said too that like when they flew Raji's in, that uh, Sheila had basically said. Make sure when you fly him in, fly him in low enough that he can't see the nice green, lush area of Oregon, so he doesn't think that's where he's going. Well, I heard that
0: they flew him into Medford, which is not that pretty anyway, and and drove him up from there. Yeah, because if you fly into Medford, which is in in southern Oregon, it's there's nothing special about that either.
1: No. And that's what she didn't want him to, she didn't want him to see the lush green of Western Oregon and think that's where he was going.
0: <laughs> yeah. Cause it's, uh, it's like a nuclear waste site
1: in Eastern Oregon. There's nothing there. Well, I mean, that's what downtown Portland looks like now. Now it does. I mean, it looks like a 1980s, like a post-apocalyptic. Yeah. In fact, most of the 1980s post-apocalyptic movies look better than downtown Oregon. Oh,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. So we're yeah we gotta we gotta hurry up here because um, there's so much to cover. Oh, yeah. So we're gonna we'll, we'll flash forward to what went wrong at the this they call it the Rajneesh Purim, is what they called this this settlement they did, and they did lots of things. They took over Antelope, they renamed the town. They wanted to take over the entire county. Eventually, they wanted to take over the entire state of Oregon. They bombed an uh, office uh, in downtown Portland. They tried to kill several politicians. They are the group that pulled off a biological attack.
1: They did. They 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 attacked people in Antelope and in the Dalles. Yes. Um. They used what was it? Uh, salmonella. Salmonella, and put it on the food, like in restaurants. Yeah, of salad bars. Um yeah. and one of them they said they put it in the blue cheese, which I think is just rude because that's my favorite kind of dressing. But I mean it's like yeah, put it on the salad bar, dumped it into places, and pretty much gave salmonella to an entire town.
0: Yes. In fact, one of the people that I knew who survived this was from the Dalles and his parents got sick. Because there's not a whole lot to do in the Dalles. It's basically it's a summer playground. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. right on the Columbia River. And so a lot of people go over and they go water skiing and windsurfing and fishing. And you stop in the Dalles, you have something to eat, and you head back to Portland. Yeah. Yeah, they did that. But they talked about using snake venom because a lot of people don't know this, too. In eastern Oregon, there's a lot of rattlesnakes. Yes. And they would catch them, and they would use them against the people. Mm -hmm. They would threaten them. Deal, like to have, you're going to have to go into the room with a rattlesnake if you misbehave. They were very strange. The other thing we skipped over was when they were taking over the town and when they were trying to take over the county, they went throughout the United States into inner cities to street people and said, hey, you want free food? You want free beer? You want a place to live? Here's a one-way ticket to our Rajneesh Purim, we're going to take care of all your needs. And they just bust in hundreds and hundreds of people from all over the United States yeah. New York, Chicago, Dallas,
1: Atlanta, you name it. Well, because they wanted them to vote, because basically the whole plan was if they brought in enough voters, they could vote out the people they didn't want in the county. You know, because they'd already taken like we've glossed over completely how they had taken over the entire like the town of Antelope.
0: Yeah, they took over the city
1: council. They renamed council everything. They renamed. They left one guy, so it didn't seem like they were trying to take over. They left one person on the city council that was,
0: and that was their fatal mistake. Yeah, that was that ended up being their biggest mistake. Was that one guy? Because he's the one. If you watch the documentary. He's the one who realized something super funky was going on out there and started digging around in their trash and stuff and found all the documents.
1: Yeah, because they just threw them away. Because they thought no one would ever look.
0: One of the things that I, I find humorous, though, and I know we have a lot of listeners in the UK and in Australia and so forth, so you may not you may not be able to relate to this, but... They did try to start this sort of security army thing going on, and they would do tactical maneuvers. And because they, they, you know, the government was coming, everybody was coming to get them, and so they were going to protect their land. And so when they raided the compound, when they eventually raided this place, after everybody had cleared out and Bogwan had fled and everything, they always make a big deal about how they found an arsenal of guns. And from every account that I can find, it was basically about a hundred guns.
1: Yeah. And what a lot of people don't think about either is that once they took over Antelope, and at one point, Rajneesh Purim was its own town. So they did the police force, or as they call it, their peace force, yes. was Rajneeshis. They were the ones that, They were enforcing uniform, their own
0: rules in their own town.
1: Yes, so they were in charge of it, and that's one of the big things where they fell down. Once they took over, they had their town, they took over Antelope, it became a problem of separation for church and state.
0: I think it's funny that there's a big deal made about the fact that they found 100 guns because yeah. I'm not kidding when I say this. I know individuals who have, if they don't have 100, it's very they have very close to 100 guns at their home.
1: That's my block, I can tell you right now. There's between me and a couple of the neighbors, there's at least 100 guns here. At least.
0: People have different opinions on that, but I just find it kind of humorous that when you read a lot of these articles, they're like, and there was an arsenal of guns. And then you get down into the facts of it, it's like, there were 100. <laughs> that was it. So when it all went down and we're skipping so much, I wish we had time yeah. to get into a lot of the nuts and bolts on this, but we really want to whet your appetite because, and I'll, I'll tell you why when we get to our final thoughts, but after they were, it was discovered that they, their, their true intentions were to take over the County and all of Oregon. And then, so the state started fighting back, which is why they attempted to kill uh, a state Senator and a, uh, all co- they, were, they, they went nuts because they were trying to protect their interests and they knew that the government was coming after them and they knew they were fraudulent and they knew people were going to find out that they were drug. They were actually drugging a lot of these homeless people. The one yes. beer a day that they gave them, they put drugs in it to keep them calm.
1: To calm down the people. Because there's a lot of things that, we're, like I said, we're glossing over a lot. Like The whole part of them having to start their own town was because nobody thought about zoning. Like The worst state zoning is Oregon they pretty much tell you like you buy a property this is what it's zoned for that's all you can do with it and that was a rich problem the the big muddy ranch was zoned for agricultural right so it was zoned to have 166 people or I don't even think it was that many it was zoned to not even have near what the people they wanted so they couldn't get permits. They couldn't do all that, and that was the whole point. Where the political started coming in of taking over the towns,
0: right? Well, they weren't even supposed to have an. They weren't supposed to have an airport. They weren't supposed no. to have a mall. Any of this stuff. No, there besides was all the weird, or, yeah, yeah, just and besides all the weird stuff they were doing within the cult itself. On the legal side of things, they were breaking every law in the book. Yes, and so that was what the attention. And on on a side note this Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh for all his talk about being healthy and being elevated. And he was addled with drugs. He loved drugs.
1: He did. And part of the reason he even left India was because I mean, at that time, I mean, you know, India was, and I mean, still is considered, you know, sometimes one of the, the, the smog, everything else is horrible. And he has asthma. He had, you know, he, he can't like, he had a huge aversion to smells. Like they had when you come into like his his meetings or, you know, whatever is his talks. There was two people at the gate as you were walking by sniffing every person to walk by. Yeah, you weren't supposed to wear you,
0: perfume. Yeah, we're supposed usually. to have
1: on. If you had been working no. out in the flowers, you were supposed to go wash off. Yeah. If you had any soap that had any scent to it, if they smell anything on you, you're out. Get out.
0: But I will say this. I've watched several of his communal speeches where he's up in his chair and he's talking. And I know many, many accounts, and even Sheila admitted it, that he took LSD, and mm-hmm. he took all kind of psychotropic drugs. Just watch him. Watch his eyes. He's high as a kite, and he's just babbling. And they're eating it up. Oh, th- they're ecstatic about it. Mm-hmm. That's what I find so weird about this, is that this is a guy who's high out of his mind, just rattling off the most... Esoteric nonsense baloney, and these people are just. And you know, he I don't think he ever actually wrote a book himself outside of this one I'm about to mention. All the books that are supposedly written by the Bhagwan were written by his followers, and it's just his teachings. Yes, so when people say, Oh, a
1: lot of like with going to you know, he had um multiple degrees. I believe, actually, I think it was, but I mean, he studied studied philosophy and a lot of that stuff, and he was really into that philosophy and everything else and like therapy, psychotherapy and everything to be able to bring people in. And I think he studied very much on how to basically break the human mind because he did it perfectly.
0: Oh, absolutely. Well, when he left... And he was on the run, and he actually went back, eventually went back to India. Because he was forced to. Yeah, he was forced to, and started another Rajneesh Purim, and it's still going to this day. People still, there's this Mm -hmm. renewed interest in a lot of his teachings, which I don't understand. But he did write a book. It's insane. It's called Jesus Crucified Again, This Time in Ronald Reagan's America, by the Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh. And I... I'm just going to read you a little bit from his foreword where he, this is his description of what he's writing about. He says, the story is repeated again. I was crucified this time in America and these seven weeks I've been struggling against the poison and I'm happy to declare to you that the crucifixion is over and I am resurrected. It is symbolic that Jesus is crucified this time in America and is resurrected in India. It is symbolic in many dimensions. It is the victory of love over hate. It's the victory of life over death. It is the victory of East over West. It's the victory of truth over criminals like Ronald Reagan. And then he goes on to say, It is certainly of tremendous importance that even after 20 centuries, a man like Jesus will be crucified by Christians themselves. It was a conspiracy of the fundamentalist Christians of America and Ronald Reagan. He I mean, says there's only think. one religion, and that, re- that is the religion of love. There is only one God, and that is the God of celebration, of life, of rejoicing. This whole earth is one, and the whole humanity is one. We are parts of each other, which I find hilarious that he's comparing himself to Christ the,
1: and Christ's crucifixion when he doesn't even believe in Christ or God. No, but he knows he's finding something that you and the people reading the book and other people can relate to.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yes. But he does say, he claims that Christ was crucified again. Yeah. So, and this time it was in America. And the reason that he feels that he was crucified and that he rose again is because he escaped pretty much all charges. It all got all the charges and everything went down to Sheila and several members of the cult who were part of this inner circle who were responsible for carrying out the orders. And he was he basically skated on all of that.
1: Yeah, because they can prove that he had anything to do with it. He had a lot of like, oh, I didn't know what was going on. Sheila was doing everything. I was in my my house meditating and playing with the women's boobs. So he kind of, you know, and basically the U.S. said, fine, whatever, gave him, like, whatever, the, this some horrible, like, reduced sentence and just said, how about this, pretty much piss off and get, off, get out of the U.S. Right. And he left, and that was it. It's, like, pretty much just go away, which he did. He went to India and, you know, did his thing there.
0: A lot of people don't know this, too, and this is also is going to be interesting because we're, at some point we're going to talk about the Moonies who used to do these mass weddings, Uh, the Rajneeshis and and Bhagwan and these guys were responsible for one of the largest recorded marriage fraud cases in the United States. Yes. It is said that there were more than 400 sham marriages perpetuated by the Rajneeshis, and this was all for immigration, which is hilarious because he hated marriage.
1: He did, but he liked it because he knew... The way to get a lot of his his followers from India here, and to get them here quickly, was to have them get married.
0: Another thing they did, and I find it interesting because, I think it's kind of waned. But when I moved from Washington, the, the, all these little deprivation tank places were popping up. You know where you could go sit and float in this darkness in this little mm-hmm. tank. Are they still, we don't have any down here in Texas. I've never seen one. Are they still there or have they all folded?
1: I haven't really seen them. I think it's still kind of one of those things. If you look for them, you can find them. But I mean, it's kind of like, it's weird. They use this a lot. They would go
0: through what they call breath therapy group. They would do three-day isolation things, trying to get them into a cathartic state. And then they would do like a five-day intensive enlightenment group and they would do the sensory deprivation tank and a 14-day insight group. That was when they first arrived, they would go through this series of intense training. They called it training, but it was basically intense brainwashing. No, they wouldn't brainwash anyone. (laughs) Well, I just thought it was interesting because I had never heard of one of these sensory tank things until they started popping up I don't know, a couple of years ago in Washington. I I didn't know that people actually did that, but apparently to them, they would
1: stick them in these tanks for
0: like a full day Yeah. to empty your mind. And now people pay to go do that.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, like you just mentioned, Aaron Rodgers did it for, for what uh, three days or something.
0: I guess. I don't know. So this is my thought on this whole thing. And I hope we've whetted your appetite enough to if you're interested th- it's a fun rabbit hole to go down because it's a true study in mass manipulation it's a true study in brainwashing bog the Bogwan was nuts oh yeah his followers even though they were very smart people it just shows that you can go off the rails it just you know if you're if you're unfulfilled with your life if you're searching for something even smart so-called smart and successful people can get roped into this stuff and
1: that happens with scientology as well yeah definitely i mean it's one of those really weird things when you're looking at it it's like how easily people are they want something they want happiness where they're they're able to look away from some of this really horrible stuff that's happening because they're getting some kind of joy out of it yeah, and
0: make excuses for the paranoia of the leader, the paranoia of Sheila. Make excuses for poisoning people, taking over towns. Like you just get caught up into this mass psychosis, and everything's justified.
1: Well, and I think part of it too is if you you really like, you know, do some research in it. Because like I said, there was one thing that I was like listening to. I was five hours into it, and the guy had just started talking about them going to Oregon, just getting to them going to Oregon. I think. There's maybe like twenty to thirty people on the top that knew about the poisoning, knew about all this stuff, and the rest of the people were just there. Yeah, they had no idea. I mean, they had no idea the stuff that was going on, you know. You no, because the, they the, kept the, them working, they kept them in yeah. workshops, they kept them sleep they, they deprived, didn't have they about kept about the, that
0: stuff. Yeah, they, they they were out of their minds. That that's what happened. In fact, two of the people who I knew who had come out of that it took them a couple of years to actually get caught up with back to who they were because they were so deprived of nutrition. They were so deprived of sleep. They like they would put them in catatonic states and just wear them down to where they were barely human. And they were like
1: zombies walking around. Mm -hmm. And that's what, I mean, when we go down these colts and talk about them, that is such a prime thing that they do of, hey, we're going to break you down mentally by making you work hard, give you not give you enough food, do everything else so that you your brain just pretty much snaps
0: right with the promise of hey, we're going to refill that with glory, hope, peace, joy, love, all the things that you ever wanted, mm-hmm. and in reality you're you never attain it
1: no. Because there's always another step.
0: Well, and they haven't attained it because he's doing drugs and sleeping with everybody and he has no morals, no scruples, and he hates everything. Yeah. Like, I mean, and he, he hated that. everything. So how can you how can that. you fill yourself with love when you have so much hate and contempt for anything and everything in the world?
1: I don't know. And that's one thing I think with him that just drove me nuts was how much he just was against everything except for pretty much him having really nice Rolexes and you know the cars, right? He really like Rolexes and Rolls Royces.
0: And so that brings me to my—I'll uh, just say these are my closing thoughts on this because going through this for hours and hours and hours, having met people who went through it, knowing this story, kind of personal, and knowing his philosophy and his early on interest in marxism and communism and everything it's fascinating i believe in a small microcosm he pulled off for a short amount of time what we've talked about many times with the illuminati or the one world government what they Mm -hmm. would like to do on a global scale yes like they all own nothing and we're supposed to be happy they handed everything over to the hierarchy and the hierarchy of the Bhagwan and Sheila and the inner circle, they lived high on the hog. They ate steak. They had Rolls Royces. They had hot tubs. They had I- anything and everything their hearts d- desired. Yes. While the rest of them got some food, they slept in dormitories,
1: they all worked, and they were, they were the ants on the farm they were and they were very much told to they shouldn't have kids no um, there's multiple stories of young women saying that when they found out they were pregnant they said something to one of the higher ups the higher up says you need to go get you know an abortion and sterilized right because they did not want them having kids because the the you know they were senyosins or whatever they called them or neo senyosins but they weren't on the higher crust of the people that should have been breeding
0: yeah, so his idea of this elevated state of himself as a god or uh, what he was was a dictator mm-hmm. is exactly what we, I think we're running into on a global scale today. Now, it's not one person as of yet, but it is a group of people who want to do what he did at this Rajneesh Purim on a global scale. We're supposed to yes. hand over everything to them. And we're supposed to be reliant on the benevolent dictatorship of the, of the government or the, of the one world system or whatever it is that, that they, they come up with. And we're just supposed to be happy and it's supposed to be utopia and we're, we're going to get just enough food and they're going to tell us, you know, what's enough energy and uh, to like, like Mark said, each to his own ability. So you produce, 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 and everybody gets the same thing. All these people got the same thing. No more, no less. And they were all supposed to just be happy and be joyful and continue to try to achieve enlightenment or whatever. And I look at this and I say, this fell apart because they all got paranoid at the top uh, their plan wasn't—it wasn't going according to plan, and it fell apart. So, in a way, it kind of gives me hope that what they're trying to pull off on a global scale probably won't work because it's failed every time it's been tried.
1: Yeah, it has, and I think part of the other thing where this fell apart at the top was it became a power struggle. I think what happened was is when everything started going to th- Sheila was taking over. And it was more about Sheila than it was about Bhagwan. Um, and the top people on the top of it were following her. Oh, yes. Because he went into what a lot of people don't realize, too. He went into, he every once in a while, he'd throw a fit because something didn't go the way he wanted. And he would just stop talking. And oh, yeah. And basically go and, and just sit and, just, and, and stop talking to people. So while he stopped talking to people, Sheila was the voice. And she could say, well, this is what Bhagwan wants. And nobody could dispute it.
0: I would equate it to this where the Bogwan was the figurehead. Yes. He was the, the face, the front face of, and the organization of Sheila and her little posse behind him were, they were the heavy hand. Yep. They were the enforcers. They were the schemers. And, they, and he was a puppet. And a lot of people believe that he was a puppet of Sheila, that she was basically running him.
1: There, there's a lot of thought of that, that once he got into America, that she once she got her claws into it, that it was her running it and that, you know, there was a power struggle. And like I said, I think people started to figure it out. And that's when she is like, I'm out. And that's what it is. I think there was a lot of jealousy and a lot of other stuff, because that's one thing a lot of people say, too, like why Bogwan didn't want children on the, the there, because the children took people's focus away from him. Yes. I mean, he's, and, he's a terrible person he was and sheila was the same way she wanted everything if it was the, the attention on Bogwan and if it wasn't on Bogwan, it was supposed to be on her and when yeah what's her name and I, I i know they said her name a couple times once she showed up and started like taking attention away that's when sheila's like nope
0: well she brought a ton of money and she was very pretty and the
1: Bogwan yes. wanted her well, and she brought drugs and yes. she brought a doctor that was helping the Bhagwan with stuff. In fact, they tried killing the doctor. Right. With a hole, sticking with a syringe with something in it.
0: Yeah, it's a sordid tale. And so I'm not putting the Bhagwan off the hook by just saying he was the figure, figurehead because yep. he was just as involved. He was evil. But I say the people around him, because especially towards the end, he was drug addled. He was just, he was like an old man yelling at the clouds. He was just spouting off nonsense. And like you said, he'd just get pissed off and start talking. He'd go sit in his room for days and weeks and whatever, and nobody would hear from him while Sheila would run rampant and Mm -hmm. call all the shots. So, as a tandem, it was almost like a, a fatal duo.
1: Yeah, which it's one of those things, too, is, I mean, one of the things like when he'd go in his tantrums, like you said, days, weeks, I think the most was years where I think he took I think it was almost three years that he didn't talk to anyone but Sheila, like in his in in his house. He didn't come out and do any of his his speeches, nothing.
0: Well, he did die eventually in January of 1990. The odd thing is, and I still I just I still don't understand this today, knowing all of this, knowing what happened. It's well documented and I know he claims he's a victim. Sheila's running an old folks home or something mm-hmm. in Europe. And all these characters have just scattered. None of them are together anymore. Yeah. Some of the old faithful to the cult still have fond memories and they call him Osho and they and believe, you know, whatever most of them all look back and say it was hell they got bamboozled and court you know they ended up obviously in a cult and they recognize that now and and they some of them are still recovering from it but he went when he went over to india he started this new study school of study Uh, it's basically it's i think it started as a library and then it became a meditation area and, and so nobody lives there it's not a it's not a commune like they tried in oregon but it's still thriving today. And a lot of people are still interested in what this moron had to say. Yeah. And a lot of people, celebrities, and just people from around the world have rediscovered the Bhagwan's writings. And I've read a bunch of it. And it's nonsense. It's gobbledygook baloney. And I don't understand how anybody finds it interesting or finds it enlightening in any way, shape, or form because there's no coherency to it. It's no, just. It's straight up babbling. You and I could do a podcast where we just got esoteric about enlightenment and light and transformation and go on and on for an hour and it would probably be deeper than what he was talking about.
1: Yeah, but a lot of what it runs into too and it's one of those things and I've seen it with other cults and it's one of those things in some of the research I've done, it's his cadence. If you get the right cadence, it's, it's mesmerizing to people you know, for lack of a better word. But I I think that's one of the things is because the way he does his cadence where it's kind of like with pauses and everything else, it it draws people in somehow.
0: Well, my favorite is that when he died, some of his followers released a statement that said that he died because living in the body had become a hell. Yeah. This is a guy who claimed that he really wasn't in his body to begin with. Uh, What you were seeing was basically an illusion.
1: And it's so, what you perceived and wanted to see. Yeah.
0: And then they also said that he was poisoned. There, there's a whole conspiracy as to who killed him. Did, you know, somebody kill him? Was it done by the government or, you know, some people who were out to get him? And that's never been proven. That's just, I think that's just people trying to explain away why he chose yes. to leave.
1: Yeah. Why he chose to leave, why he left, yeah, all that. Yeah. But
0: yeah, so there are still people who, uh, who are into it. And so I'm going to leave with this. These are the Ten Commandments of the Rajneesh. And this is basically all you need to know about the, his philosophy. Number one, never obey anyone's command unless it's coming from within you also. Number two, there is no God other than life itself. Number three, truth is within you. Do not search for it elsewhere. Number four, love is prayer. When he, means, when he says love, he means sex. Yeah. Five, to becoming nothingness is the door to truth. Nothingness itself is the means, the goal, and attainment, which is why you had to empty yourself and you had to go through all this rigmarole to basically be catatonic. Number six, life is now and here. Number seven, live wakefully. Eight, do not swim, float which I think is really weird. I don't know what that means. And number nine, die each moment so that you can be new each moment. And number 10, do not search that which is, is stop and see. So deep thoughts from the O show.
1: Deep, deep, deep.
0: I could have, I'm not kidding you. I could, I think I could write a better 10 commandments than that. Probably. It's just, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't understand the attraction. I don't know why you would hand off all your worldly goods. And here's the other thing. When they closed down the Oregon Rajneesh Purim, they did not give those people stuff back to them. No. They all left penniless. And Mm -hmm. all the homeless people that were there from all over the United States were dumped into Oregon, into these small cities, they bust them to these little small cities around there and just dropped them off and said, good luck. And so these,
1: once they stopped being useful to them.
0: Yeah. And so all of a sudden these cities are over these little tiny cities in Eastern Oregon are overrun with a hundred homeless people and they don't know what to do with them.
1: Yeah. And some of those cities, they had more homeless people than they had had residents. Yeah. It's, it's a
0: crazy, crazy story. So again, watch the documentary, You will get a lot out of that. And there's some great books and there's some other great documents like that German documentary you're talking about. You can get it in subtitles and it's actually quite good as well. It is. So anyway, that's it for this week on the Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh and the Rajneesh Purim. We skipped a lot. Trust me. We did. We could have gone many, many angles, but I think we did highlight the things that needed to be highlighted. And yes. so hopefully that if you're interested, that whetted your appetite to go further. If you'd like some information as to which directions to go, email us down the RH at ProtonMail.com. We'll be glad to send you in different directions for, uh, with resources and stuff. But it, it's very, very well documented. So it doesn't take yes, much to well. search this stuff up.
1: All right. Well, yeah. you have the midweek podcast. I do. I do. And so I uh, think I'm going to do, uh, uh, I'm thinking the Order of the Solar Temple. I think we're on this kind of like crazy people thing. Let's go with the orders to all the temple. So,
0: oh, that'd be great. Yeah. I'm looking forward to hearing that. That's extremely interesting topic. Yep. And we will be back next week with another episode. Again, you can email us at down the RH at com. We thank you so much for spending time with us and hope the rest of your week is fantastic. Tune in on
1: Wednesday. <laughs> Tune in. Download on Wednesday. Yes. Is that how you say that? Download, I guess. Yeah, download too. I think TuneIn still works. I mean, they know what it is. I get, I, but I get crap all the time from that
0: because I don't use the right lingo.
1: We're old. We use what lingo we know. There
0: you go. Anyway, Wednesday, Brandon has the midweek, and we'll be back next week. Thanks, everybody. I'm Big D. I'm Brandon. And we're out of here. See you later.